If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Now today I'm delighted. Brendan Burgeon is back again and really happy to have you back, Brendan. We talked first of all about the problems of challenging horses. Then we talked about developing control of speed over fences. And today we're going to talk about developing precision over fences. How are you today, Brendan? Yeah, pretty good. I'm delighted to be back and delighted to be chatting about something else that I just think our sport is is evolving all the time. Like if you think of like if venting 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, which I don't actually remember firsthand, I have to admit, <laughs> um, what was rewarded was bravery. And the fences were big and they want you to gallop onto the fences. Mm-hmm. But the way it's all changed now is it's now all about techie, trappy, tricky little lines, eventing yes. and show jumping as well. So I kind of think we have to rethink about that when we're training the horses. So I'm delighted to be back and talking about that for a bit. Yes, yes. I think things certainly have changed. You know, and I'm one of those older riders who was eventing 20 years ago. And as it came and changed to be more precise, I think better for training the riders to do the more dressage, you know, more the relationship between the dressage and the jumping. I think that's certainly come about. And, um, yeah, the precision of the fences, I think that's a really big one. Yeah. I think the one the one problem with the, the way the sport has changed is it doesn't reward horses for being brave. It mm-hmm. kind of it works to catch them out of it. And I think it, it's it's really important for if you like the fairness of the horse that we we really prepare them for that, that you know, they've got to really think on their feet. They can't just take a really massive jump and hope that it'll be fine. Yes. Yep, yep. And this is important too for the rider, isn't it? If the rider's going to walk the fence and walk the line and make sure that they really know the horse, that they can prepare the horse for it as well. Exactly. Like it's like I've said, like in previous interviews, like we have to try and look at things from the horse's point of view. Like if if it's a if it's a, a big bank and then it's a sudden turn, you know, uh, right onto a really skinny roll top, mm. the horse's uh, reaction is usually to bound off the bank and then it puts them too close to to the roll top and that's where you're going to turn them over. So, you know, I think it's really important that you have the horse um, really on the aids and the speed control is all there so that when you come to a massive bank or a huge trocaner that's coming to something techie afterwards that you're able to say, come slow to it, Mm -hmm. look at it because there's something else coming. Yep, yep, yep. Let's move on to talk about the actual developing of the precision and of course we've got to go to the warm-up now I know that you say a good warm-up focusing the mind but what's a good warm-up you know I mean there's going to be lots of variety there so can you tell us what a good warm-up is if we're going to develop precision okay so I was at a I was at a course in January it's called the FNI annual course and there was a show jumping lady there called Corin Bracken okay and uh she she's brilliant. She's one of these real straight talk. I think I've spoken about her before. Real straight talking people. 
um, her warm-up for her riders is trotting poles on a serpentine to try and get the horse's mind focused on the task and get the rider's mind focused. Because I kind of think we can get on our horses and just blather around when we're warming them up and, oh, I'll do a bit of a trot or I'll do a bit of a canter. And I kind of think it's really important that you should get on with a plan in mind and think, um, I need to put the front legs where they're going to need to be. Because in the end of the day, the shoulders have to go to the flags um, for eventing. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to get the horse really square in the shoulders when you're show jumping, especially if you're jumping a big parallel. Um, and I think it, it's it's about getting on them with that in mind. I'm reading a book at the moment called um, Two Brains, One Aim by a really cool guy called Eric Smiley. Yep. And he talks about how physical warm-up of the horse actually isn't all that important because uh, and I spoke to him about it um, a few months ago and I said you know what do you mean he said well when you think about it horses have evolved to flee from predators they don't turn around to the lion and say yeah just hang on one second I've just got to trot four circles Mm. do a bit of a stretch and then I can go Mm -hmm. it's much more about kicking their brain into gear so that they're buying into whatever you're selling um, and I think that's really important, whether you're, you know, warming up for dressage, show jumping, cross country, whatever it is, to make sure that they're really buying into whatever you're selling. Yep. Yep. So I suppose that's what I think of when I think of warm up. Mm, mm. And there's loads of brilliant people out there that have similar ideas. Like there's, I'll talk later about Lucinda Green. Like she's again all about simple, straightforward mm-hmm. course. You've got to do a job warm ups. Yep. 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 You talk about a frame of reference to evaluate training. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, again, in other interviews, I've talked about um, different ways of measuring. So, like, um, what I use is mainly I use William Micklum's constants and variables, and I use Andrew's or um, Equitation Sciences to a certain extent, their um, shaping scale to evaluate how good your training is. Um, The German scale of training is there as well, but I kind of feel it's more an idealistic pyramid rather than um, a training process for Mm -hmm. me. So that's that's what I think of. So when I, so for example, when I'm warming up my horse, I'm always thinking, is he accepting? Is he calm? Is he forward? Is he straight? Are the paces correct? That's my first basic thing, and that's William's constants. Mm-hmm. And then I start going, have I got control of the direction, the speed, the impulsion, the balance, and are my aids timed properly? Um, because some days you come out and you're like particularly aid timing, you know, some days you come out and it feels like you've never ridden before. Um, so you've got to remind yourself about making sure the timing is fair. And then when you're teaching something new or training something new to the horse, you're tapping into those, um, the shaping scale to make sure the basic attempt is there first, then the horse is obedient, then rhythmical, Mm -hmm. then they can be straight, then they can do it on a contact. And then you have it on proof where it happens on tap all the time. So I suppose it's just important that to remember that riding happens between our ears not between our legs and hands. You know, you have to think about what it is that you're doing. And 
really honestly evaluate whether um, things are going well or not. I suppose that's the way I think about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for things to go well, you know, balance, position, getting your balance and position in order. We're talking about the horse being balanced, the rider being balanced. Just talk a little bit more about balance and position and what you feel about that. Okay. Well, I think, first of all, I think it doesn't matter what you look like, really. In Mm -hmm. dressage, to a certain extent, it matters what you look like because there's actually some marks for it. But I think what's really important is that the communication that you can put through to the horse is really clear. And to me, that comes from... um, a balanced, if not neat position. So um, I think it's really important to train that. So for example, um, I'm eventing my horse this year. So um, since the weather's improved, we haven't been near um, a level piece of ground anywhere. So I'm riding her basically on the side of a hill to make sure that my balance is going to be reactive and quick enough so that when we're cantering down a hill to a fence or up a hill to a fence, it's all there. So I ride around the flat, I lunge her, I do everything on a really grassy hill because that's what we're going to be using mm-hmm. and making sure that I'm able to communicate whatever it is, whether it's leg yielding onto a line, shoulder in, anything to make sure that I have full control of the direction, speed, impulsion and balance. And I just think sometimes we train riders, tricky in riding schools, to have a good position, but we don't think of it in terms of balance and communication. Because at the end of the day, you can be pretty is as pretty does. Like you can sit there beautifully and not give the horse any useful information. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that was well explained. To do with the horses, being fluid, fluidity keeping it natural how can we do that and that's what we're looking for but what process and what are we looking for yeah well i suppose i'm going to say something a bit odd here i i think a horse is a lot like um a push bike um when you're cycling your push bike along if you want to get around say a sharp corner or do anything other than go in a straight line, yep. um, you have to be moving smoothly along because if you start, you know, snapping the brakes on just before you turn, you get your little skids, you get your little turns. And I kind of think that, um, especially if you're competing on grass, um, you've got to make sure that the horse is well signposted to where they're going so that they can move around a turn. Again, reading this book, um, Two Brains, One Aim by Eric Smiley, he talks about lines and and he has a line in the book and he calls it the dead man's line. And what he has, he has two fences and it's a turn back. And he said, the smart rider's line is to just curve around that and move smoothly. Then Mm -hmm. the horse can keep their canter and flow around the turn. The dead man's line is you go out, you do a 90 degree turn and snap back. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you break your canter. In Irish, we have a term that we call stadach, which means sort of stoppy. And I think you watch people who are nervous show jumping or nervous cross country, and you see that stadachness about it, where the horses nearly staccato every time they turn because they're using so much rain aids 
And again, I suppose it jumps back to my previous podcast that I did with you, which is about having control of speed. Yes. I think we talked a bit about fluency and fluidity and flowing natural paces and how it's so important that we allow the horse to give their natural pace if we want to be able to move them around in a precise way and hit the mark every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I know that earlier on you talked about, you know, within the warm-up, focusing the mind, but you're talking now also too about giving your horse's head a job. Is that to keep the horse thinking or can you explain that a little bit more? Well, I suppose, again, it, co- it all comes back for me to the nature of the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in a horse's nature to be alert, to be aware, um, to be always looking out for when the lion's going to jump out of the bush and eat them. So if you allow the horse to just go into their I suppose their vacant grazing thinking mindset, then it means then they're not focused on the information you're trying to give them. So, for example, when you're working your horse in in the canter, say, that's one of the places where the horse is, I suppose, I think the most fragile because they're covering more space. One step can mean a huge distance. So I think it's important that you're giving the horse maybe a little leg yield here, a little leg yield there a little slow down, even if only just the small amounts um, of, of movement to try and make sure the horse is always tuned on your signals and not looking for, it sounds, it sounds like I'm, I'm being anthropomorphic, but looking for the next thing to run away from. But that's the way the horse's brain works. Mm-hmm. If they're a healthy horse, you know, <laughs> they yeah. should be looking out for the next predator because yeah. that's how they've evolved over millions of years. So you've got to make sure that you have them very, very focused. And again, we come back to um, Eric Smiley's idea of buying in to make sure they're buying into the process that you're selling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You come up with some good ways to explain things and I'm just writing in that buying into the process. Yeah, I think you know, having, having the horse on your side, it's important. Mm-hmm. You should get that book though. It's, it's a really good book. I've written it down. It doesn't come from yeah. a very learning theory point of view. Uh-huh. It's more a coaching book. Yep. But... The ideas are quite brilliant. Good, good. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Now, the next one, and we're talking about precision, you know, developing precision over fences because, you know, it's all right with cross-country, I suppose, you know, you get the narrow fences, squeezes, but often in show jumping. We're riding two fairly wide fences. When I say wide, I don't mean wide 
to jump, I mean, wide between the wings. But your yeah. idea of riding a colour on the ground, even a ground pole, you know, but riding the colour rather than saying, I've just got to go between the wings, but you're really riding to a colour or, or whatever to help with your precision. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, is yeah, the, the um, show jumping, the fences are really wide. They're, you know, usually between, usually around 10 to 12 feet wide. Mm. Um, but if you're on a, say, say, for example, you're on a big striding horse and you're coming round a turn back or a turn or whatever, and you need more space, it's really helpful if you can, if you can jump the side of a fence. Yes. It drives me nuts when I watch people teaching you to ride and say, oh, you always jump the middle. Mm. It's just not true. If you're coming down a bending line and you need more space, you go more to the outside of the bending line. If you're riding a bending line and your horse is short striding like mine, you come on an inside line. And it's really important to have that um, that control, that precision. So what I do when I'm teaching, like, I, as you know, I have, I have a riding school. I teach sure. um, kids <laughs> from the very beginning, beginning up. And from the very start, they never just go over a pole. They mm-hmm. go over a specific colour or sometimes, you know, I'll take off my gloves and I'll put my gloves down and say, ride through my hands. Sometimes I'll put down my car keys on and say, I want you to get so close with the horse's left front hoof that if the horse was dragging that foot, you'd knock my keys off. Mm-hmm. Or if, if they're doing a really bad job, I'll put my phone down and I'll say, right, you know, knock my phone off. Yep. Because it's really important that you can put the horse exactly where you want them. You know, we're in charge of effectively four things as riders. The looking and planning is one point. The second point is speed. The third point is direction. And the fourth point is to be in balance so the communication is clear. As soon as you you let go of having control of direction or you let go of having control of speed, I wouldn't get into a car with someone who didn't have control of those two things. And I think it's something that we always have to be looking after and reviewing and making sure it's all there. And that's where the riding a colour on the ground comes from or riding through gloves or for people who hack out a lot, you know, um, my show jump trainer, John Mulvey, he's always saying, you know, when you're cantering out up a hill, you know, jump a stick on the ground, put the horse's foot in the puddle, because that way you know that you're still in control of speed and direction all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think you can ride around aimlessly for an hour or half an hour or you can ride and have these exercises in the back of your mind and be actually riding for that continual improvement. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Now, riding with pods. Before we go any further, because we might all speak English, but there's different um, languages within English. I know Australians got some quite peculiar ones. Yes, you do. Pods. What are you talking about when you say pods? When I say pods, I'm talking about um, football cones, those little flat football cones, the ones that if you stand on them, they just yes. squish flat. Okay. And they're brightly coloured. And yep. um, I teach a lot of pony club and I always come with my stack of pods mm-hmm. to the pony club rallies. And I don't know what pony club rallies are like in Australia, but here pony club rallies are, we're in the middle of a big field. There's usually about 10 to 15 rides going on. And you have your unmarked corner of your field. So what I do with my pods is I set out pod exercises. So I'll put down two pods, ideally if I can, red and white. 
red being on the right and white being on the left, you know, to get the mind thinking. And I put them about a foot and a half apart and they have to ride through the pods. And then we progress the exercises on and I put the pods before and after um, the jumps, the fences, and they have to ride down through the pods. And then there'll be um, a set of halt pods. So they canter down over their their fences or over the cross-country fence. Then they have to stop between two pods. And again, it just comes back to, I'm like a broken record, um, speed and direction. Mm. Um, by putting down the pods, the clients have, if you like, empirical data so they can see when the, the line is right and the line is wrong. Because, again, I, I do a lot of, I assess people um, in, in the, under the BHS banner for um, coaching qualifications. And you hear lots of you say, oh, yeah, that was good to their client or yep. that was better and mm-hmm. I kind of think there's there's nothing worse than telling something it was better or it was worse mm-hmm. I think it should be yeah okay you you hit a pod so what I do in pony club is if they hit a pod I pull them off the pony and they do 10 jumping jacks and then they get back on the pony okay. so it gets their mind focused on let's get through these pods let's get this line right and then eventually what happens is you you take the pods away and and they're still riding as if the pods are there. And I think it's really, really important, um, particularly for when you're a coach starting out, um, to be able to prove that what you're saying is true. And if you have pods, they either went through the pods or they didn't go through the pods. And there's no arguing with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we might use witches' hats or road cones for the same. You see, I don't, I don't, I don't like road cones, and I'll tell you why. Because they're they're too big. Yeah, too easy. Because the horse yeah. can see them. Mm. The beauty of the pods is they're they're like you know they're maybe four inches max, mm-hmm. and it means that the horse genuinely doesn't see them. So the rider has to do their job. Because it sounds awful, but I don't want the horse to help the rider out. Yes. Helping the rider out is for competition day, mm-hmm. but the rider should be helping the horse out on training days. Mm. Can see a surge of popularity of um, getting some pods. I'm not sure. And <laughs> um, oh, one uh, word of warning I'll give is that they, your clients will all groan when they see the pods, like the yes. <laughs> in the riding school when they arrive up and <laughs> and it's jump week and they see the pods all over the arena. They all just go, oh. Really? Not today. <laughs> but I will say I use the pods myself in my riding because yes. I think there's a lot of the time as coaches, we can be kind of mean and, and do mean things to our, our clients, making them be more precise. But in the back of our own heads, we're going, geez, I'm happy that I'm not doing that to myself. Mm, mm. I don't think that's right either. <laughs> well, I think, you know, we're talking about ways to develop precision over fences. And, and that's yeah. really what we're about today. And if you're using pods and having them and, and the next one, you've got the next one is um, jump small, narrow fences. If that's part of being able to develop that position, then, yeah, we've got to put ourselves out there and do it. Do you want to talk about these small, narrow fences? Yeah. I watched uh, Lucinda Green Clinic, and I'm sure everyone who's, who's listened to this podcast have heard, has heard of Lucinda sure. Green. She's, I think, the most amazing cross-country trainer, horsewoman. She just has great ideas. So what she does is, you know, she puts down little half poles and uses those, you know, those plastic blocks. And she has people jump over the plastic blocks and 
It doesn't matter whether they're a four-star eventer or the horse is green, green. The first thing she teaches is for the horse to go over these narrow fences. Sometimes she starts off and she's got three of the blocks and then she whittles it down to um, to one block and and it, again it just it comes back to it's like the it's like the pole idea it's, it's the same thing it's just putting a more practical application on it um, and I I do that a lot so again once once my clients are you know walk trot canter can do a good bit of steering we break out the narrow fences and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll start off with something that's maybe six foot and then we'll whittle it down to something that's a foot wide. And one of my biggest things I love doing is I have a mounting block, which is three steps high and it's about maybe a foot and a half wide. And one of the things we do is we jump the mounting block yeah. because yeah. it's it's narrow. It's focused when you start off and you've got two wings on it and then you've got two poles on it and then you jump the mounting block. And that way... The rider knows that when they come down cross country and they, they come down to an arrowhead and arrowheads are usually sort of max a foot wide at the base and wider at the top, right? Four foot wide at the top. Mm-hmm. They know they can jump from the middle of the bottom of the arrowhead to the top of it. And yeah. I think that's it's so important that you give your riders that confidence that they can, you know, whatever width, whatever height goes in front of them, they can jump it. And Lucinda Green, in, in one of her masterclasses on Horse of Country, says that, you know, you can trot down and jump a narrow fence at a metre 20. And of course, we're all recoiling in horror at the idea that you can, but it's absolutely true. You know, there's there's videos on YouTube of mules jumping metre um, 30 out of halt and clearing it. Mm-hmm. So we get very paranoid about this idea that we've got to be coming fast at big things, and it's just not true. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What about the testing lines? You know, and some people might think, right, if you've got pods, that's a bit of a testing line, but Talk about how to challenge yourself to ride these testing lines. Okay. So one an exercise that I, hopefully I can paint this this mental picture. An exercise that I put out and I use four jumps. I put two on a four stride related distance. Then I put two fences in on the angle. So you jump off the related distance, you know, from the yep. first related distance to an angle, to a fence on an angle, like a dog leg. Mm-hmm. And then I have these two dog legs set up so that you can jump the two dog legs on a related distance line. So you're jump, you're meeting the fences on an angle. And I think it's really important, especially for eventers, to meet fences on angles. Because when you're eventing, you do it all the time. You come down to a corner, you're jumping it on an angle. And I think it's really important that at home, you train yourself to come and take some tight turns and just do that kind of thing. Um, I was at a the British Horse Society Ireland convention last month and one of the speakers there was um, Yogi Breisner, who, again, an eventing legend, certainly in Ireland, the UK, and I'm sure he's been heard of further afield. Mm. And what he set out is he set out a six-fence grid with one stride in between. And he had them jump up and down the grid. And then what he had them do is he had them jump um, basically a shallow loop down the grid where they jumped every second fence. 
Okay. Do you know what I mean? And, yes, yes. And then he had them jump. He then put fences on the side of the grid. So they jumped, say, the first fence and out the side of it over another fence on an angle. And you're sitting there as a spectator looking at it going, oh, my God, he's so brave. But at the same time, he was doing this in an arena where the poles fall down. That's the time to do your challenging lines, mm. to push your clients to see where is the limit so that you know where the holes are that you need to fill before they go out and they jump a one or a two star cross country uh, track. Because I just, I think that we sometimes, especially as coaches, play it very safe because we're we're afraid of essentially being sued. But, you know, as long as your work follows a logical plan, follows a progressive training methodology, I think that you have to be brave and push because I've said this before in other podcasts, you know, we've got to be following what the top people are doing. Mm. If you want to be better, you've got to look skywards because if you're not looking skywards, you're doomed to stay stuck in that same rut, doing the same job over and over. So that's, that's what I think about challenging yourself to ride tricky lines. And again, it, it's like I said earlier, it's, it's something as simple as when you're cantering and hacking out, you know, jump into the puddle, you know, jump over the little fallen tree and pick spots and hit spots. Yep, 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 yep. Now, this is one that I love. You've got finish every exercise with a dressage test. Do you want to explain that a bit more? Yeah, I think certainly when I started teaching, you used to set out your exercise, you'd have your clients jump around their exercise and then um, you'd say, well done. And there, there was no finish to it. So um, then I I was training with uh, a girl called Joanne Logue. And what she had everyone do is she had everyone, I want you to stop at E or stop at C or stop here or stop there. And I went, sure, that's a great idea because it finishes it off. It means it doesn't peter out. So yes. you don't have to stop. Like some of my clients, I go, right, um, I want you to, land after the last fence I want you to canter a 20 meter circle and then I want you to come down the center line and halt at x or whatever it happens to be because it means then there's a proper finish to the mm -hmm. exercise not a peter out the petering out is for when you finish your show jumping round or your cross country round and you're avidly scratching and loving your horse because they're so wonderful but at home you want the horse to still be thinking, oh, there's a signal coming here. Something's coming next. What's coming next? Because how many times do you see in particularly pony club show jumping that they've jumped 10 of 11 fences or whatever and the horse thinks they're done mm -hmm. and they nearly miss out the last fence because they've lost the horse's focus and attention because the horse is used to coming off that fence because they train in that training center and they're near the gates, they're done. <laughs> so I just think finishing off of the dressage tests or just a, one or two little bits is yeah. really important after you finish the show jumping round or the eventing cross country or whatever it is in training. Yeah. Now, if I think for our listeners, you know, if you didn't work out, you know, we've got 10 ways to develop precision over fences. There might have been 10 ways, but... Gee, there were a lot of exercises within those ways. You know, you might say about, you know, warming up and you'd go through a couple and, you know, the riding 
testing lines and, you know, a few different ideas there. So I think there were lots and lots of ideas, many more than 10, Brendan. Thank you for that. I think for people who are looking at developing precision, even any sort of cross-country jumping, but even developing precision within a dressage test, I think um, there was a lot of good advice there. Yeah. Delighted to be of help. Oh, Brendan, thank you. Thank you. I think you, the way that you explain it too, you know, it's very good for someone who's just starting, but I think for people who are more experienced riders and competitors, there's also lots of information there. You know, just different ideas that you can think, right, I can do that. Yes, yes, that's a good idea. And experienced coaches as well. You know, there's ideas there that they can try with their students. So certainly lots of valuable exercises there. So, Brendan, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I, I don't know what you're going to come up with next time, but certainly looking forward to your next one. Thank you. I'll start having to think and see what I can come up with. <laughs> yeah. Now, if people do want to contact you direct, can you just go through the best ways to contact you? The best thing to do is to go to my website, um, uh, bergenequine.com. Okay. Um, and you can, you can contact us through the website. It's probably the easiest because... My phone number is there, but um, I'm very bad about answering the phone because I'm usually I'm usually doing something. And for me, whatever is in front of me right now is the most important thing. I'm one of those narrow focus people. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's probably the best way of, of contacting us. We also have a Facebook page and all that sort of thing, but you can find all that from the website. Okay. Those details will be on horsechats.com slash, I think, Brendan Bergen 3 we're up to now. But just go to horsechats.com and search for Brendan and you'll find those details. So thanks, Brendan. Looking forward to catching up with you again next time. Thanks, Dennis. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Okay. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.